0: For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message.
1: ...picture of the tongue in the life of the church and how it can start a great fire and destroy many things. You get over into chapter 4 and you see that the tongue actually becomes a, a picture of worldliness. This kind of action is not is not ultimately something that's just fleshly. It is ultimately satanic, James says. The, the use of the tongue to tear one another down. And then as we saw last week in chapter 4, that we're not to speak evil against one another, brothers. That, that we're not to slander one another because that is sinful and that's a wrong use of our, of our tongue. But there is one, I think, that we would let slip under the radar far more often, maybe, than we would admit One that is far more plaguing for the church, and that is grumbling. That is grumbling. And James addresses that issue here of complaining and grumbling against one another. And so we find our place here in James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7, and reading through verse 11 this morning. James writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And here's the statement. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door as an example of suffering and patience. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's pray. Lord, we do confess this morning that you are compassionate and merciful That You are a holy and righteous God and You have done great things for us. Taste and see that You are good. Lord, we confess that You're good this morning. And so oftentimes we praise You for Your goodness. And yet, there are many times in our life that we find ourselves complaining and grumbling about all the things that we wish were true and that You haven't chosen to give And we can be such an ungrateful people many, many times. Often that ungratefulness is turned toward one another within the body of Christ. And we begin to groan and complain and murmur and grumble about one another. And against one another. And so I pray that it would not be so among us. God, that You would teach us from Your Word this morning again how to love. May we be faithful to obey what we hear And Lord, I pray that You would be glorified in Your church. And Lord, if there is one here that doesn't know Jesus this morning, I pray that they would see the Gospel at work in the church. God, as we've even sung about this morning Your goodness, may they receive Your goodness and Your patience with them. Lord, I pray that they would see a a need for Jesus this morning through the Gospel. That their life would be saved and that they would spend eternity with You in heaven. That today would be the day of salvation. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, again, we just have a few more weeks in this series. And we are turning a corner, it seems, at the end of the series. We find some difficult things for the church to hear. Certainly, the church in Jerusalem was plagued with some major problems and and there was some major rebuke that had to happen within the, the body of Christ. And so we're picking up on some of those things. And as we begin to turn a corner toward the end, we'll be reminded that this is all about love, all that we love one another. And yet we must hear the difficult things. We must hear what it is in our lives that is displeasing to the Lord and Complaining and grumbling is one of those things. It's something that we all struggle with and that if we're honest, is something that has plagued the church ever since the days of Moses whenever the people were following him out into the wilderness. In fact, I want to remind you of a story that is in Exodus chapter 15, one that you will likely be familiar with. At least you might have seen some of the movies where Moses led the people out of Egypt into the wilderness. It's a great, wonderful story about how the, the people of God that he had set apart to be his own special people had spent 400 years in bondage in Egypt and that seemingly the promises of the Lord had escaped them, had passed them by. They had not experienced any of the Lord's goodness, at least by measuring in human terms. And then God raises up Moses the one who would be raised in, as an Egyptian, he would run out into the wilderness, but he would return to deliver God's people from their their slavery, from their bondage in Egypt. And this great glorious day and story of where all of these plagues having, having hit Pharaoh and, and Pharaoh finally relenting and letting the people go, they, they go out into the wilderness and, and they come to the Red Sea and you would think the story ends there as if everything had fallen apart before before this, this great sea and they were going to die at the end of Pharaoh's spears. And yet the sea splits and God takes them across dry land and then Pharaoh's army is destroyed by the closing in waters from the Red Sea. And we all celebrate this story and there is this great worship service in Exodus chapter fifteen, this this great worship service to the Lord. And then they go into the wilderness. And almost immediately this is what you find. Exodus 16 and verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the in the wilderness and found no water. And listen to what happened when they came to Marah. They could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, "What shall we drink?" You would think that after God had done a great thing for them, that they would have been in a worshipful mood, a worshipful tone, and yet they immediately begin to grumble. I asked you a question at the beginning of the message today, and that is, if God is so good, why then do we go on complaining? And I think that the answer to that is because we are so quick to forget how good God actually is. And so they did. You get into Exodus chapter 15. They sent out from set out from Elim and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. And on the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt and the whole congregation, listen to this, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness And the people of Israel said to them would that we have had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So they remembered the goodness of God in the land of Egypt, and yet here they were in the wilderness and had so quickly forgotten how good God was, and they began to grumble and complain. You see, when things get hard, or maybe when things don't turn out as we expected them to turn out, we tend to take out, take out our frustration on those around us, don't we? We tend to grumble and complain about maybe it's leadership, or maybe it's the people around us, or maybe it's family or friends. We tend to grumble when things don't turn out the way that we would have wanted them to, and we quickly forget the goodness of God. We have very little concern for the will of God and we tend to grow frustrated and bitter. And as a result, we grumble and complain about all the things that didn't meet our expectations. And oftentimes, the grumbling and the complaining, though wrong in the first place, becomes misdirected. Because we, get, we tend to grumble against the people that really had no bearing on what it is that's caused our lack of contentment. Maybe they caused some of the things in our life and many of the things in our life seem unjust, but at the end of the day, it is our own selfishness and our own lack of contentment that brings us to the point of grumbling. And that is the kind of situation that we find in James chapter 5. The church at Jerusalem, clearly they had been under suffering. We see that. James chapter five, look at verse 10 as an example of suffering and patience. Brothers, take the prophets. He's speaking to a people that are suffering. And, and if you read the text rightly, you really can't separate verses one through six from verses seven through eleven. It's really one entire thought. Most commentators would would say that this seems as if James is speaking first to the rich to warn them about their oppression of the poor and and all of their love of money. And then he immediately turns in the next paragraph where we are this morning to those that are poor and says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. As as if they are enduring an injustice, a a piece of suffering in their lives. And, And James wants to, yes, rebuke the rich because they love their money and they're oppressing the poor. But at the same time, The response of suffering Christians is given to this rich people for them to for them to often look at them and be bitter and complain and grumble that they have all the money and we don't have any money and that's not fair. And James tells those that are poor, he says to them, be careful, because the same God that's going to judge those who are rich is there and is going to also judge you right there in the center of the text. You see it? Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So inasmuch as it is a problem for those who feel like that they have everything they could ever need to oppress those who don't, it is equally as much a problem for those who don't have potentially what they feel like they need or to feel like that they've got some injustice that's been dealt with, dealt to them it is equally as sinful for them to murmur and complain and grumble against those who have more. If that's true, then there's a huge component of this text that should stand out to us. And that is that if you're thinking about the poor and the rich and you would say, you know, it's, it's just not fair that some have more than others and it's not fair because they've not been given the same opportunities in life. And, and I want to just say to you this morning that that's the that's the context in which we pick up this passage. These aren't complaints that are illegitimate. These are complaints that may, in fact, be legitimate. It may not be fair that they have more and they're mistreating those that are poor. But at the end of the day, James says that the, legitis- the legitimacy of the complaint is not justifying of the complaining. You see that just because it may be unjust in what you're dealing with doesn't mean you have the right to grumble and complain about what it is. So James says, be patient. And don't grumble against one another. You almost hear the echo of chapter 1 and what James is saying to these folks, don't you? Remember what James said in chapter 1 when he was talking about trials? Chapter 1, verse 2, he said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says to these suffering believers who perhaps are dealing with some injustice in their life, he says to them, be patient and don't grumble. The trial that you're enduring is working for your good. It is testing your faith and it is producing more patience. So be patient, therefore, and do not grumble about your life. And again, the same reason is given as it is given to the rich that the judge is waiting at the door. God is there. God will do right in all the earth. God will make all wrongs right in his time. And so you be patient with your injustice and don't grumble. How often do we find ourselves in this kind of a position where we've experienced some injustice in our life? And we think that that's just not fair. I I can't believe this is happening to me. Why would God allow this to happen to me? And we're so quick to forget the goodness of God, aren't we? We're so quick to count all of our blessings, to count it all joy. We're so quick to forget what God has done in our life. And we're blinded to the purposes of God in our life. And, and we see suffering as something to move past and to get beyond. Oftentimes we grumble about the things that we simply don't like or the things that don't fit into our preferences. Many times, like the children of Israel and like the people in Jerusalem, we want to view others as the source of our pain and as the problem in our life. And so we grumble about them because they've brought this thing into our life. And James says that's not who we are as Christians. It's not who we are. We're to be patient. And I want to really press into this because oftentimes we see these things in our life as some, some cause, something has caused this in our life. Maybe, maybe we've done something wrong and so God has brought discipline into our lives. And, and sometimes that may be true. Or sometimes we we think that these things come into our lives in order to test that our faith is genuine and and that's all there is to it. It's just one of these things that's a a temporary uh, thing to be avoided or to look past. But in reality, if, if the if the trial in our life, if the injustice in our life is there and it's producing in us patience, if it's doing something on our behalf, then then this trial, this injustice is not something to grumble about. It's actually something to embrace for the glory of God. Something to, to long for and desire because God would do something so gracious in our lives. What God is saying to you this morning... And what he's saying to me through his word is that God is ultimately sovereign over our lives. And everything he does. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Everything he does is for our good. And so everything he does is good. God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. And so we believe that. And so what is it that we do as believers as a result? The simple fact this morning is that we are to be patient, trust in God, and stop grumbling at one another. Be patient and trust in God and stop grumbling at one another. Three different times James says patience. Verse 7, verse 8, and verse 10. And then he says these words, establish your hearts. And what he means is our hearts are so prone to go with our emotions, to run off with us, to carry us off when we just can't handle it anymore or when that wasn't fair or when it's too painful and we can no longer bear it or when we're worried about all of the things that could happen because this has happened and our anxiety just totally consumes us. We're to be reminded to establish our hearts. In other words, a heart that is so, quick, quickly, or is so quick to run away and to chase after our emotions. Establish them. Trust in God. And he uses the word brother, reminding us that we're not alone. We are among Christian brothers. We are among the church. And so we're to trust in God and to be patient And stop grumbling against one another. By the way, this flies so in the face of the American way, doesn't it? This is a part of biblical Christianity that that is so counter what we experience in America. We we have the right to protest. and, And so we almost even take up arms in order to protest the things we don't like. And in one sense, it's an okay thing to to protest, but but when we come into the body of Christ and and there's one thing or two things we don't like, we rise up and protest and build an army against it, and it is a dangerous thing that divides the church. James, James doesn't give us that freedom. James says that that there is a right way to handle those things. We should be slow to speak and we should be quick to hear. We should be slow to wrath. There's a lot of instruction that James gives. There's a a need for us to confront one another whenever there's a problem. That's at the end of James 5. But at the end of the day, the, the goal is not to protest. You don't have the right to protest in the kingdom of God. There is one and only one way that we live our lives, and it is this right here. And this book doesn't give us the freedom to grumble against one another. And by the way, if, if that's what we resort to, we are less and less and less like our Savior. Philippians chapter 2 deals with Jesus and the example that He set for us and the command right after he says to have, let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus who humbled himself even to the point of death death on the cross that whole passage right after that passage is do all things without grumbling or disputing that's a verse that gets talked a lot about in my house <laughs> do all things without grumbling or disputing so what does James tell us in how to avoid grumbling Because if you don't do something, if you don't act, if you don't create some sort of preventative measures in your life to grumbling, you will quickly fall into that trap about grumbling toward one another, grumbling against one another. It's real easy to talk about all the things that you don't like. So what does James say is the antidote? Well, he's already mentioned it. Patience. Patience. But patience in three specific ways that we see in the passage. Number one, be patient Through fruitless labor. Be patient through fruitless labor. So he says in the first verse of our passage this morning, verse 7 Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Then he gives this illustration See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. So what is he saying? Well, anybody that knows anything about farming, and I don't know much, but I know this, that the rain has to come in order for the crops to grow. And if you're going to do some work, then sometimes you're going to have to be a little patient as a farmer. And when this farming was taking place, they didn't have farm insurance policies. And so you just had to hope and pray that 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 was going to produce a crop, what you just spent all of that time doing. And so planting the seed and doing the work beforehand of plowing the field and all that is required in order to make this crop grow. And, and then, once you've done all that you can do, and this is such a sermon in this, once you've done all that you can do, all that's left to do is what? Wait. Wait. That's the part we have the hard time with. And so James says, Be patient. Be patient. Through fruitless labor. How many of you ever been at the place in your life where you've done everything you can do and it seems like nothing came out of it? Anybody been there? You've done all that you can do and, and, and everything after everything that you've done, it seems like no fruit is produced because you've been waiting and you've been waiting and been waiting and maybe even the early rain has come and you've been waiting and been waiting and waiting and, waiting and you've never seen the product of your labor. I think we've all been there at some place And at the risk of us saying that maybe that takes the illustration beyond what the text is intending for it to do, it is the poor that James is speaking to. And so therefore, they've been working and working and working all their lives waiting for something to come about. What James does is he picks up their expectations and he says your expectation can't be in the temporary. It can't be in the transient in this life. Pick up your expectation and put it at the return of Jesus Christ. There is fruit coming. But know that you're going to live this life and much of what you do for the kingdom and what much of what you do for your family and much of what you do that seems to be good and right and godly is going to be fruitless understand that but we don't work listen to me carefully we don't work for the fruits, because we are not the lord of the harvest god almighty is lord of the harvest we plant and we plow and we water and we plant and we plow and we water and we wait on god to produce the fruits and he does so in his timing And so you may have worked all your life and done the right thing and seemingly with no reward. I want you to hear two things this morning. One, righteous living is never wasted effort. Righteous living is never wasted effort. You let God be the judge of what is fair. Don't wait on your own actions to somehow produce a result. I hear so many Christians, so many, especially young believers who who say, well, I'm going to follow Jesus now and I'm going to do everything the right way. I'm going to obey. And then somehow their lives get worse off when they obey than what they were when they weren't obeying. And the big question mark hangs over their head like, why would God allow this to happen? I'm obeying him and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And yet, God doesn't seem to be rewarding my efforts. And I want you to to hear this morning that righteous living is never wasted effort. The reward will come. But you may have to wait a lifetime. And in the meantime, you take joy in the Lord of the harvest. Enjoy Him. Because He's going to provide fruit and one day you will worship Him in the midst of all that He's provided. But you know what's going to happen? On that day when you get to heaven... You will have rejoiced not in the harvest itself, but rather in the one who has provided the harvest. When all those things are said and gone and done, all of the blessings of this life, physical blessings of this life are gone. One thing will remain. That is Jesus himself. And you will be satisfied for all of eternity. Righteous living is never wasted effort. Secondly, righteous living assumes delayed reward. It assumes it. And this is where, as a believer, you've got to grow in your faith and you've got to recognize that I'm not looking ultimately for the reward. That's not why I do what I do. Reward based living. Think about it. All of the people of of Hebrews chapter 11, they were looking for a promise that they had not yet received. It was out here and they all died not having received the promise. Hebrews 12 begins, So we therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We look to Jesus for our reward. Jesus is the One. He is the substance of all of God's promises. All of God's promises are yes and amen. What? What? In Christ, Christ is our satisfaction. And so righteous living assumes I'm not going to get my reward yet, but my reward is coming and I'm good with that. Righteous living assumes delayed reward. So be patient, even through fruitless labor, whenever you realize that the reward is delayed and that your your righteous living is not wasted effort, you will not have anything to complain about because your expectations will be fully met, fully met. Secondly, be patient for the coming Savior, be patient for the coming Savior. So this is what he said. And I don't know about you, but this is the part of the text that stirs me up the very most. Because this life is something I want to walk away from ultimately. I'm not satisfied here. I want to be with Jesus one day. That's what I long for. I want to be pleasing to Him in whatever I do. We saw that yesterday as we were celebrating Tommy's life. Even in the midst of cancer, she was able to be pleasing to the Lord because all she longed for is Jesus. She just wanted to do His will. And this is what James says. He says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. And then he says in verse 8, be patient establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. In other words, Jesus is coming and he's coming again soon. Now, I don't know what your theology is of the end times, but when you hear these two statements, honestly, it really doesn't matter because what we can all agree on is this, that our savior is coming again for his church. Amen. Our Savior is coming and we will see Him no longer through a glass dimly lit, but we will see Him face to face and we will know Him as we are known. Praise the Lord for that. Praise God that He's coming again. And we have all throughout the New Testament these these. Reminders that Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. First Thessalonians written really for this purpose. First Corinthians 15 to remind us of the resurrection of the dead. Revelation written to remind us that Jesus is coming again soon and it will be for His worship for all of eternity. Whenever you are looking to the sky for Jesus, you don't have time to complain. You don't have time to grumble. And so I want to say to you two things this morning in relationship to what James has Said number one, live today in preparation for his coming. Live today in preparation for his coming. I think that that is the ultimate end of this illustration. When he says to be patient for the coming of the until the coming of the Lord, and then he uses the farmer illustration. I think that the 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 reminder is there as the farmer that we're to continue to work and continue to water and continue to plow and keep living rightly. We ought to live in. Preparation today for His coming tomorrow. For some of you as Christians, that that means that you need to be sharing your faith with other people. You need to be living in righteous ways. You need to be memorizing Scripture. Praise God for Avery and her memorization of, of Psalm 34 this morning. You, you need to be hiding God's Word in your heart. You need to be trusting in the Lord in greater ways and, and living out your faith in ways that are, that are just radical for the kingdom. You need to be doing that because this kingdom is coming. We need to live in those ways. But I want you to hear me carefully this morning. If you're not a believer, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today you're not prepared for His coming. And I don't want to scare you with any tactic of Jesus coming back and you being left behind. Here's what I want to say to you. Jesus is coming again soon. And every single one of us, no matter if you're left behind or not, will stand before the judge and we will give an account for our lives. And when we give an account for our lives, if I give it based on my own righteousness and my own merit, you know what happens? God declares me guilty and I'm separated from God for all of eternity. And I think that all of us in this room who know Jesus would plead with you this morning to trust in Christ on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. God will forgive your sin and he will heal your life. But you've got to turn from your life and this life being preparation from the next. You've got to surrender to King Jesus today and trust him as Lord and Savior of your life. So this life is a life of preparation. Prepare for his coming. And secondly, it is to live today in anticipation of his coming. I think that the church too often grows complacent. We just grow complacent. We think, yeah, Jesus is coming again soon and we move on. But not so in the New Testament. They lived every day as if that was the day that the clouds were going to part and Jesus was going to descend just as He had ascended into heaven as He promised the disciples. It was a day that that Jesus could come back at any moment. Can I just ask you, did you wake up this morning wondering if Jesus was going to come back today? Did you wake up this morning wondering, well, since Jesus may come back today, there's some people who I know that if He comes back, they're going to be lost for all of eternity. And so today, I'm going to go share Jesus with those people. Now see, most of us forgot today that Jesus could be coming back. And most of us spent more time complaining and grumbling about some things in our life we wish were different than actually rising up and living righteously for the kingdom. You see the danger. See the danger. Jesus is. Is coming again soon. So be patient. Be patient and wait with anticipation of His coming. And number three. Be patient through painful suffering. Be patient through painful suffering. James gives us two examples. Two examples. The first one is the prophets. Notice it there in verse 10. He says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets. Who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. And if we if we had time this morning, we would walk through all of the prophets. Remember Elijah chased out after he'd done a mighty act by God. You could think about Paul serving the Lord there at Ephesus and this great riot rising up. You think about all of these people that serve the Lord and, and we could go on story after story after story. Even just reading the book the the, the chapter eleven of Hebrews. All of these prophets being called blessed and yet all of them, all of them suffered on behalf of the Gospel. Or take for the second example. He says, verse 11, He says, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Now Job didn't spend all of his time, we know, not grumbling. He began to grumble at the end. But even Job was reminded of the goodness of God. The reality is suffering is here. And we, if we grow to expect that suffering will be here. Then why would we grumble that it has come to our life? Jesus promised it. Every prophet, every person who followed Jesus before us made an example of it. And so we ought to expect it. And I think what James does here is he, by, by way of confession, he says that that suffering is painful notice notice he says at the end that the lord is compassionate and merciful and i want you to hear this this morning suffering is painful and and james in making that statement he's assuming that Whatever you're you're going through this morning, we we don't want to make light of that. I don't want to make light of that. It is heavy. It is hard. It is painful. It's brought tears into your life. Stress and anxiety and worry and, and anguish even and pain and wishing that it would go away. But the Lord is merciful and He's compassionate and He loves you. And whatever He's doing through your suffering... Even in the midst of it, be patient and wait even through the most painful suffering because He knows your pain and yet He is working for your good in ways that you cannot even imagine. God is is good and suffering is painful, but He's being good in the midst of it. And that's the second thing I want to mention to you is that suffering is purposeful. Suffering is purposeful. When we think about the steadfastness of Job, we see that story, we read that story Knowing the end. But Job was living it, not knowing the end. We, from the back, looking, or look from forward, looking backward, we see having heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How many of you know it's real easy to see the purposes of God in somebody else's life when they're walking through suffering? It's real easy. They get to the other side of it, everything's good. Real easy. We can tell them exactly what God's doing. You start going through it, and I don't have a clue what God's doing anymore. It just doesn't make any sense. Here's what I know. What I what I don't know is why your specific trial has come. And frankly, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter on the specifics of that thing. Here's what I do know: that God has a purpose. And His ultimate purpose is growing you and shaping you into the image of Jesus. And if that suffering and that trial brings it, yes, it's painful. And no, you are not alone. He's compassionate and merciful because He is working for your good in the middle of it. And the end result of it will be fruit. So you be patient. You be patient. There's nothing to grumble about whenever that is true. Whenever we see our suffering as the goodness of God, that's... That's something that we can say, yes, I'm going to be patient and I'm going to trust in God and I'm going to stop grumbling against my neighbor. I want to close with this this morning, reminding you of why you would be patient in all circumstances. It is not that there is a reward on the other side, it is not even that suffering is temporary or injustice is temporary. All of those things are good, and they are maybe one in one sense motivation, but they are not the ultimate reason why we are to be patient through difficulties and patient with those around us and not grumble at one another. Here is the ultimate reason. Second Peter in chapter three and verse nine: The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Isaiah tells us exactly how he was patient. He was oppressed and afflicted, all of these injustices. And yet Jesus opened not his mouth, didn't complain, didn't grumble. Rather, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Hear me carefully this morning. You be patient with one another and cease grumbling because the one who deserved to complain about all that we were doing opened not his mouth. The one who received the greatest injustice anyone could ever know was led as a lamb to the slaughter and He was crucified for us. The One who deserved to unleash His holy wrath on all of us because of our sin was patient with us. And oh, how great is His patience. Praise God. God has been incredibly patient with us. Some of you are here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you have been waiting and waiting and waiting, and thus far God has been incredibly patient with your life. I want to plead with you and to implore you on behalf of Christ that you come and repent and trust Him for salvation this morning. Today is the day of salvation. No longer are we to wait. God's patience ultimately runs out And we will be left to give an answer for our faith that is non-existent. And we will be left to give an answer for our lives that is simply by our own merit. And by our merit, we will be separated from God for all of eternity. And so this morning, you trust Christ by faith. In just a few minutes, when we stand, you step out of the place where you'll be standing, come down this aisle and say, Pastor, today today, I want to to receive Jesus. I want to turn from my sin. And I'm thankful for God's patience with me. And, And would you help me? Would you help me? And that's That's all that needs to happen this morning. We'll help you. We'll show you what it means to follow Jesus with your life. There's others in this room. You've not been patient with one another. You've been complaining a whole lot. Grumbling a whole lot. And maybe even about some specific people. And you need to go to them this morning. And you need to turn from that. You need to confess your sin. And you need to repent. So every head bowed, every eye closed all across the room. I want to invite you to stand all across this place. And I'm going to pray. And our invitation will begin. Debbie's going to begin playing, I Surrender All. And that's what we want to do this morning is surrender all to Jesus. Lord, I pray that You would have Your way in this place and that we would submit to You with our lives. God, may our grumbling lips be silent. And may we praise and praise only for all that You have done in our lives. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You come as Debbie plays.
0: You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship Connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.